All right, welcome back to Firewall. I am your host, Bradley Tusk. Today is a Tuesday episode, so with us is our friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how you doing? I'm doing good. We got the air conditioner so jacked up. Yeah, it's really here. kind of, I mean, it's fine, but it's, you can feel it. Yeah. Well, I was really hot. I walked down here. Um, I have like I live like 15 minutes away, and it's a really nice morning in New York City. Yeah, but, but it's only like, I just looked like 70, because I walked over too. It's like 74. No, so but humidity, humidity. 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 Yeah. yeah. Do you, so when um, the Miami Marlins were coming into baseball, I guess it was a few years after the heat had already been. Okay. And there were, somebody was arguing they should be called the humidity so people could, be, so people could say, like, it's not that the heat is so bad, it's the humidity. Oh, that's yeah, good. But, that's uh, good. That, doesn't a, roll a, off the tongue. A, a dumb Henny Youngman joke wasn't enough to name a, a major league team. The um, humidity. Bradley, what are we talking about today? We're here? talking about four to five things. We're talking okay. about the Eric Adams photo scandal. We are talking about uh, girls' sports. We are talking about wheat shops. We are talking about uh, why we love sports. And I think you might have wanted to get into meditation, but I, I'm not sure we'll have time. Yeah. Do you, and we, we're going to have a recommendation from you today, too? Yeah, Did sure. Everyone? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so the, the, the Eric Adams photo scandal, if you live in New York, it's, it's, it's probably – popped up on your radar, but let's walk people through the, the, the background. Yeah, a bit I mean, so that- it's a weird story and situation. So um, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, was a cop for 23 years, unquestionably understands policing and law enforcement and everything else. Um, he is also a really good politician, which means he is both good at engaging a crowd and, and kind of being empathetic and emotive. Um, but politicians are known to sometimes stretch the truth to make the story, you know, Say fit it the so facts, right? God, that's hard. And um, so there was a, a colleague of Adams who, uh, Officer Robert Venable, who 20-something years ago, um, more maybe, um, was killed in the line of duty. And there's no dispute that he was killed. Um, <laughs> and Adams talks about their friendship a lot at different public events um, and says, I care, I've always carried a photo of him with me in my wallet. To, Do you remember to when remember he him. started saying that? Is that is that something that cropped up I recently? don't know because you know what it is? It's the kind of thing where like, okay, so take the, the mayoral campaign in 21 with Yang. Like we were hammering Eric on everything we could, but I don't think it even – occurred to us like he would lie about something like oh no that, of course right no. so no, no. that one just seemed it would have been a good it would have been good oppo if we no could i have, just wanted to admit, but, he'd been talking about having the photo for yeah I, I think apparently just based on the coverage i've read he has brought it up a bunch of times over the years okay okay and the times broke this sort of teapot in the or tempest in a teapot story a little bit where it was um Adams doctored the photo. Well, can I back up yeah. for one second? Because what so the Times liked the idea of it, and they wanted to do a photo of him with the photo. So that's I think where it's. Oh, that that was the origin. So story? so so the, okay. what they did was they said, "Hey, would you? Can we do a photo shoot, and you'll hold the photo up?" And then and then that happened, and they ran. The and story. then everything went from there. So then it turned out, at least according to the Times, that there was no photo. City Hall panicked created a photo, printed off a, a black and white Google image, wrinkled it, spilled coffee on like it to make it detail. look like, like it's a good detail. Yeah. <laughs> make it look like it had been sort of, you know, used and sitting in a wallet for, for a couple of decades. Um, and then somebody leaked that to the Times. And so the Times found out that the photo was a fake. Right. And so the, 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 the questions here are a few. One is, um, who at City Hall decided to do that, right? Because it's fucking stupid. Because the, I mean, the underlying problem is the mayor's. If it's true that there never was a photo and it was made up, City Hall disputes that. But if it's true, 
The underlying fault is obviously the mayor's, and we'll get to him in a second. But still, if you're staff, you know, someone ought to have the fucking judgment to say, guys, you know, I understand that we don't want to say that Eric's been lying about this photo all of the years, but this just seems like a recipe for disaster. Like, why not just say, like, yeah, I had it for years and years and I was cleaning out my wallet and lost it or moved or whatever. Or I mean, just say, look, it's a private thing. And I realize I, I you know, I mean, you can just. Yeah, or, right, or, or, or just, it, just right? stay away from it completely. Yeah. Right. And instead, someone there has the idea to do it. Somebody says, OK, um, they do it. I don't really know how you're not going to get caught printing an image today that was supposedly existed before the Internet even came to life. Right. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Um and so I guess the questions are, one, what's what happened here? Like, you know, th- this this is just like politics 101 and media 101. Two, if you're Eric Adams, you know, I think he he's only been mayor for a year and a half. And I think overall he's he's doing a much better job than de Blasio did for sure. Um, but, you know, he won office on the basis of tremendous personal political talent, right? It wasn't like he had this incredible resume. He was the borough president of Brooklyn for eight years. That is a absolutely do-nothing, useless job. <laughs> he was a state senator for uh, over a decade, uh, which is fine, but it's, it's a legislative job in Albany. It's not running the most important city in the world, uh, and was a cop before that, which actually I think is his most relevant experience for the job. And the way that Eric was able to still kind of ascend the ladder and make it all the way to the to the top is he is such a talented politician. He does such a good job with an audience one-on-one um, that, you know, when you're with him, you you really feel that charisma and it works really well. Not unlike a, a Bill Clinton or when I was in Illinois working for Rod Blagojevich. I mean, Rod's a fucking lunatic, but man, if he was sitting next to you and he wanted you to feel good, you felt good, right? right? He could probably still do that today is my guess. So, Things that probably you can get away with in the borough president's office because no one is paying attention are much harder to get away with the city hall. Right. And I think that when you move from single A to the majors like he did, um, at a certain point, somebody's got to step back and say, we live in a different world. We're playing a different game. Like the same Times reporters who broke this story – maybe have once written about their borough president's office, maybe never. Like, they weren't paying attention when he was borough president. They're paying attention now. We have a dedicated press corps. Um, And either the mayor's team, someone's got to say, like, guys, we're in a different world now. We have to behave differently. We can't get away with making as much shit up because people are going to check our facts, especially now. Um, A stunt like a fake photo. You know, now... It's one of those little things that people remember, right? So uh, you're right. The coffee detail is sort of the, the, the perfect piece of all of it, which is because it was so weird and so specific, everyone will remember the doctor, this photo, and it will just be an underlying like, yeah, maybe you can't really trust these guys. They seem to lie a lot. Um, and so it just like – it's a, I want this mayor to succeed. I like him personally. And it was such a stupid, unforced error that I worry that the job is hard enough as it is. And then if you are just sort of still playing minor league ball and really immature, you know, there's no way you can succeed. Well, let's look at it from two different angles, um, both based on your experience. One, I'd want to do dig in a little bit on the internal thing. And just in your personal experience, you could see how someone would have the idea, right? Someone says, you know what? He doesn't actually have the photo. We got to make one. And that just kind of somersaults into them actually doing it. 
But if you've been around where like you've had an idea of something and you kind of know it's a little bit outside and you sort of run it through just to just as like a kind of thought experiment, and then you kill it. Does that happen a lot? I mean, that's my whole life, right? I mean, all, all I do is, you know. I mean, when you were working for Chuck Schumer, did you yeah, do- all, doctor all, a photograph? Um, no, of no. But, you know, well look, and I came years. up when I worked for Chuck or Mike or Rod or whatever it was, you know, with all kinds of weird out-of-the-box shit, whether it was policy ideas or press ideas or budgetary, whatever it was, and some of them worked, some of them didn't work. Um, but, um, no, I, I, I think, look, in some ways I kind of understand – what they're going through. Well, it's victimless, right? In their view. Like if you're sitting there, you're the 26-year-old person at the Xerox machine who's doing this, or probably not the Xerox machine, but with your, with your coffee cup. I think cup, they probably printed it. They probably printed it, yeah. So you're, you, got your, you got your coffee, you're doing this thing, and you're like, look, this is, a, this is kind of an homage to this guy who's dead, right? So you're, you're, you're doing a mitzvah for his family by yeah. you know, producing the photo and showing that he's remembered. You know, it's not... It's not anything against that guy, for sure, his memory. Um, and you think, like, well, what's the damage, right? We just got to make sure the no The damage is just to the underlying credibility of them. If, if they didn't get caught, no damage. But right. the problem is there were enough other ways to get out of this mess right. without resorting to this. Dishonesty, And right. because they resorted to this, well, not even dishonesty, right? Because you would lie and say, oh, the photo f- kind of crumbled, disintegrated, or... Oh, it's too private or whatever it is. Like you're lying no matter what here. Right. But but there's credible lying and, and there's non-credible lying. And when you engage in non-credible lying and you get caught, it, the ripple effect is really significant. So now the problem is it's a it's not a victimless crime because the victim is Eric Adams. The victim is City right. Hall. The victim is the next time these people tell you something, you're gonna be like, well, they lied about the photo, so maybe they lied about this too. Now they still insist that. The whole photo was real from the beginning and whatever else. Um, well, that's worse, right? Shouldn't they just, I, I shouldn't don't they just get man it. up? I mean, it still like- seems to me that a head will, one of two things will happen. Either because it broke on like, what, a Thursday or Friday, um, the weekend, maybe everyone just kind of moves on. But if, if the press hammers back at it today, let's say Adams has his event today and all the questions are just back to this photo, um, by the end of the week, somebody at City Hall will be fired. So if you're on the outside and you, you're a political consultant and you're looking at taking a run at Adams or have a candidate to take a run at Adams. Which I'm not. Which you're clear. not. Yeah, yeah. No, we're just speaking hypothetically. Yeah, I've been known to do that once. Yeah, yeah. We're not talking about the real stuff. We're just talking hypothetically. You can't really use something like this very easily, right? Because no voters are not like, oh, like the. Well, here's where you would use it. You would use it, one, to just try to undermine his credibility among reporters, right? What you want is like okay. what happened with de Blasio, where eventually, because they hated him so much, every press conference was just both sides gearing up for battle, and they pretty much all went badly as a result, right? So if you can have the guy in the defensive every day on whatever the topic at hand is, that's a huge advantage. So that's number one. Number two, no, you're not going to run TV ads about the, the coffee stain on the fake photo. Um, but as you're making, you're prosecuting the case against him and saying, this is someone who just makes stuff up all the time. You know, you put this into the litany of other examples that you already have and you use it to try to undermine his credibility. Right. So, um, no, I mean, look, I don't think that in any way his mayoralty, like his reelection prospects are, are jeopardized by this. I just think that um, a year and a half in, they got to be better than this. So the indictments, uh, some weird campaign violations. I didn't even. It didn't I tried, I seem like any of it splashed back directly on the mayor. The the it was a straw. So 
what sometimes happens in politics is there's contribution limits and somebody wants to make a big impression on a candidate by raising them a lot of money. But the, and if, if they could probably just write the check for that amount of money, they would. Um, but either they can't afford to or there's contribution limits. Um, and as a result, they raise money from other people. Do they just use their names? They use of? their names right. and then they reimburse those people. So effectively, you're circumventing the donor rules. Right. Um, and it sounds like some people held a fundraiser for Adams uh, and did that. They were indicted for it. The coverage was pretty clear that there was no real knowledge or participation by the Adams campaign at all. Um, but it just, you know, and again, it is having been on campaigns and dealt with vetting of contributions, it's hard, right? You can run people through a system and see, okay, this person has three indictments or whatever it is. If they're all regular people who came to some event, you don't necessarily have reason to doubt them unless it's like, you know, an event filled with, you know, hotel workers and they're all getting 5,000 bucks and you got to wonder what's going on here. But um, so I don't know if it was a fault of the Adams campaign. I, I just think that the real death spiral is when you're caught up with the press in petty feuds all the time while things go wrong every single day running the city because they will. Right. So as those things go wrong, if if there's then just this petty obsession by everybody over these stupid issues that don't even really matter, you just start to lose. the whole thing just goes into a downward spiral and it's really hard to recover from it. So I just think that the warning signs are there. We're seeing them with lots of people leaving the administration. We're seeing them with stupid, unforced errors like this. And because I think it's so important, we're at such a critical junction in New York City's history, um, it is just really important that Eric Adams be a successful mayor. And so to me, this is a good time for them to take a half a step back, take stock, maybe make some changes. Okay. Um, we're going to do one of our hard pivots here. Okay. Um, because, I mean, everybody just changes topics from Mayor Adams to um, participation, girls and boys. They flow support. naturally yeah. together. So that's what we're going to do. So, so, so uh, you know, you have in some ways much better perspective than I do because you're, do both your kids play soccer or just one? Um, they both play soccer. Both play, right. So you have, you have two kids that are athletes uh, who are, what, 17 now? So um, you've been through this. And they started playing when they were, what, five, six? Something like that. You know, yeah. I think one of their first teams was with your daughter, Abby. Yeah. And wait, I, I don't know if the we've said this. And I don't Tigers. Wanna, I don't want to embarrass Abby on this but I because I did actually think it was beautiful. But my girl, um, Orly, was the goalie, and we were playing, and Abby was the last – last man back, silly thing to say, but the, the last player back on defense and there was kind of a breakout of the other team. And Abby did this beautiful cartwheel. Yes, she was doing pa pa past it. You totally passed the play. Both of my and kids. Then it was a, then it was a break. Both of them. So Abby was soccer. Neither of my kids are athletes or interested in sports. Um, Abby was doing, she was big in a cartwheel phase back then. Yeah, yeah, during the middle of the game, while on the field, totally in, in a critical moment. In, in a, a critical, critical moment, moment yeah. doing cartwheels. Lyle once, literally, he was playing right field. And in the middle of everything, he just walks off. He doesn't just walk like over the sideline. He goes through the outfield, past the second baseman, past the shortstop, past the third baseman. And I'm like, what are you doing? what are you doing, man? And he's like, well, I have to go to the bathroom. I was like, first of all, you got to wait till the inning's over. But second, <laughs> you're right next to the foul line on the other side. Well, what was the point of disrupting the entire game? Lyle's big contribution to Little League was he taught the other kids how to make that farting sound with your armpit. Oh. And at one point, I remember looking Everybody, over every team needs and almost none of the kids had their gloves on. They were in the right. field. They were all just making the, the armpit farting sound. Oh my but, God. but here's a question. That, I have, the apple does not fall far from the tree. I don't know how to right? do it, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, so. I just mean the spirit. 
I mean, I love scatological humor and talking about poop and things like that. I just don't specifically have the physical talent. To okay, your theory on what we should do about... I guess here's the question. So I have really not spent much time reading about, thinking about all this transgender sports stuff, honestly, because I just don't really give a shit. Like, it seems to me the world's got big enough problems... And they can work it out. ...that whoever's swimming, like, whatever, I don't care. But but I did happen to read an article uh, over the last couple of days, and I, and I texted you because I was just trying to figure out, like... Why what was we, the article about? What, what was the it, article was, it about was a swimmer? yeah, it was about I, th- I think it was about a swimmer and sort of the unfairness of it and whatever else and the unfairness of a of, of, a, of, a, of someone of a who was born, born a woman or born a man competing and succeeding women. Right. against women. Okay. Um, or, and I, why do we divide sports on a gender basis to begin with? This is what I'm trying to figure out, which is like the point of sports is to have. The people playing, the best people playing at their absolute very best against like-minded competitors, you know, on a consistent basis, right? That's what makes sports interesting and fun. And why does it need to be boys this, girls that? Why isn't it just like, this is the varsity soccer team, basketball team, football team, whatever it is, and whatever gender you are or transgender or whatever it is, doesn't fucking matter. If you're good enough to make the team, you're good enough to make the team. And if you're not, you're not. And, you know, I texted you this and you wrote back saying, you know, I'll paraphrase your tell me if I get it wrong, Uh but you're going to kill girls sports because what's going to happen is boys are going to fill up the rosters of all of these. If if everyone's competing and there's no guarantee for girls to make the teams, they're going to end up not being able to play. Right. And I guess my question back is, okay, so you're at a typical high school and there's uh there's volleyball, right? There's a varsity team and a junior varsity team for boys and a varsity and junior varsity. Or volleyball is a very sort of girl-centric sport, so let's, let's pick something a little more basketball, a little more neutral, right? Um, so you have four teams total, right? right. I, I guess if the demand among boys to play basketball, organized basketball, is so high that if they solely did it based on kind of physical skills and strength and that many boys are turning out height, yeah. yeah. Um, then I guess maybe they do fill up all four teams. But, but my guess is that's not what's going to happen, right? You know, so I, I just why not just let a mix of girls and boys play together at whatever skill level they're at? Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I don't know exactly what would happen if that were done, but I do think there'd be way fewer. Uh, positions available for girls to play. I don't know that my girls would make the soccer team if 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 they were competing against boys their same age. Maybe they would. But wouldn't um, so they're in the next team now. What's the difference? Right. So you go from being like a varsity athlete to being like on the fifth team or whatever it is. And then who I, I just I think it just becomes You can change the nomenclature. Right. I, yeah, I, I guess you can. It just it just it just sort of takes but they the, know that they're not like just do your do your daughters believe that if they tried out for a team against girls and boys that they would a hundred percent make the top team no matter what? I, you know, it's funny. It doesn't come up. So I don't, I don't know what exactly they think on it. Um, but I, I do know that they get a lot out of participating in sports and if it were made a lot more difficult for them or made, but why would it be more difficult? Well, just, I mean, look at the boys and they're like, if they were playing basketball, I mean, my girls are five foot well, seven. If they're good um, enough to compete against the boys, they'll be on the top team. If they're not good enough, they'll be on the next team. Right. I think I think they would be pretty anyway. It, just, I, it, just, I, it seems to me from a much forget about sports for a second because again I really don't think any of this shit matters that much. But <laughs> I think it matters in the symbolism, sense that people it, people but. care about it and and that's the thing is that is that it, it it obviously hits some kind of nerve. I mean I have friends who are just incensed with like trans athletes and I'm like well, I agree with you. I'm not I'm not 
I, I think it's a it's a it's an issue that needs to get worked but, out. Maybe in right. the way you're suggesting. I mean, but- just but just take a half a step back. We tend to divide up the world in terms of gender, race, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation. You know, all of that. And like, it's obvious as to why we do that because it is a way to group people. Right. But it doesn't seem to be a particularly effective way to right. group people, right? So like. Why wouldn't we start trying to to shift the norms here and say the ways in which we group people don't have to be based on these underlying characteristics that people have no control over when they're born? I think it's a good point, Bradley. Thank you. Um, should we do it? We have another hard pivot. Yeah, another hard pivot. Um, and, and this is actually, I have two topics within this hard pivot. Oh, you have two? Yeah, so but, it, but they're both related this, to weeds. This so, is, they're not. so this is the New York City weed shops. Give us give us a quick primer So there's where we something are now like, because I noticed over, about I noticed late last week over the weekend, the first licensed dispensary opened in the Bronx, right? So we, have, we only have five boroughs in the city. Only five. And one just got their first licensed dispensary a few days ago. There are over 5,000. How is that possible? Why didn't the Bronx get one before? There's because a the, billion in the level, well, licensed, there's like three or four oh, that I'm aware of. Oh, I think there's plenty of illegal weed shops in the Bronx. I'm okay, talking good, about good. licensed, Thank right? Um, but there's something like now an estimated 5,000 illegal weed shops in New York City. 5,000. Yeah, and there are still less than- I think I there's 5,000 on my block. Uh, by the fucking, by this bookstore, there's definitely 5,000. <laughs> um, and I don't know, less than 20, call it licensed dispensaries in, in, in New York City right now, uh, maybe even less than a dozen. And here's my question. If I were the mayor, if I were the governor, what the fuck are they doing? Like, I understand that some lawyers saying, well, if you just arrest everyone and padlock the place, we could be sued for this or for that. And we don't want to assume this kind of liability. But the reality is no one has an inherent right to sell illegal drugs. And it seems to me like, like I'm not, you know, Rudy Giuliani lost his fucking mind. But if he were mayor, I think what he would do here would be the right thing, which is padlock every fucking one of those 5,000. And if the padlock gets cut and people are inside and you catch them, they all go to jail. The workers, the customers, everybody. And like, it seems to me that, yeah, we'll, we'll groups of people sue and ACLU sue and in three or four it years. It also seems like this is the kind of work that cops would like to be doing. I think so, yeah. And some judge might force the city to make some kind of restitution. Maybe. But even if that's the case, right now you've A, destroyed your entire legal dispensary business, and B, you have no control now over the product or, or the sale of it whatsoever. I think that if you look back to the debate in Albany to legalize marijuana, if it was like, look, once we pass this thing, it's the Wild West. Anybody could open a store. There's no checks for products or regulation or anything else. It wouldn't have passed in the first place, right? So it passed on the condition that it run a certain There's way. There's a regulatory system. It's not that running way. that way. And this is not that hard of a problem to solve. And so I'm kind of flabbergasted as to why they're not solving it. And then that leads to one more question. Wait, can I just ask you yeah. a question, though? So what's the model here? You mentioned Giuliani, but is it? do we need like Elliot Ness? Do we need like... Um, like I would, have, I would have like an illegal weed, weed ta- are, task weed force are? within the NYPD, and I would tell that person the weeds are. Who's the perfect person? Who's, I mean, he probably just find someone from the administration who's not crazy and just put them back. That might be job. hard. Yeah. Um, look, there are plenty of people who are tough in this city. I'm sure there's someone at the NYPD who would be happy to have Ray this Kelly. Job. What's he doing? Yeah, Ray would be good. Though Ray, Ray at this point, you know, like too famous. Guy. Yeah, he's older. Brad might do it just to get his name for in attention. The yeah, he'll do anything for attention. Yeah. Um, but um, 
What other thing that you've cut me off? It's okay. Uh, so of these 5,000 shops, not that I've been to 5,000 of them, but I've either been in or walked by a couple of hundred, right? Sure. Well, maybe I've been in 20 and walked by, you know. Right. Uh, and by the way, I use these shops. So like I am a customer of them. So I'm arguing against my own interest to a certain extent in that if the shops are all shut down, I'll have to go wait online like everyone else at the dispensary, so a legal dispensary. Uh, but um, they look very similar, Right. Uh, it's not that there's consistent branding among all 5,000 of them, and maybe it's just like this is what the cheapest operation just looks like, but maybe it's not 5,000 different small business owners and entrepreneurs. Maybe it's a handful. Maybe it's the mop. Maybe it's the Russians. Maybe it's the Italians. Maybe it's the Jamaicans. Maybe it's the Nigerians. Who the fuck knows? But it seems to me that there's too many of these things that have popped up too fast. They're too well-resourced. Or organized system. And they have managed to not get in trouble, which means they're connected to somebody somewhere, right? And so I think when there's this many of these things, you have to start asking, what the fuck is going on here? Who's behind this? And why are they getting away with it? And what's going on in either city or state government that they're either complicit in this or they're too incompetent to do something about it? I don't know. But I think we're, we're past the like- we don't have the most powerful newspaper with the most, like with the biggest investigative budget in the world. So, sorry, so you, you worked at the Times for years. Yeah. So, so, so their underlying politics on this issue, if, if, if their main concern is never losing their status as sort of the, you know, morally superior news outlet at all times- right. um, what would their position be on legal checks? Well, I have to say, I, we've argued about this a little bit. I don't think the newsroom is driven by exactly the same imperatives that the business is. I, they obviously do things in, in – it's not lockstep, I guess, is yep. the point. Okay. Um, I, I think that the, the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a kind of failure of, of – um, it's out of imagination. I was about to say that, but but the the investigative unit, like the weed problem in New York, looks too small, right? It looks like oh, it's like a local issue, and the New York Times hates local issues. They don't want to be a local newspaper. They want to be a national newspaper. They want to do stuff that gets like attention all over the world, and it burnishes the brand. They don't want to be like policing issues in in Brooklyn and the Bronx, you know. Oh, but they they did a whole story about a fake photo that the mayor had. Yeah, although that's 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 something they that put they, on the front page. That's something they sort of blundered into. They didn't set out to like oh, we're going to blow the mayor up on this. It just, <laughs> If, if, if you're the metro, maybe, look, maybe the argument is New York Times should stop pretending to be a local newspaper and just give. Well, I think they largely coverage. have. Yeah. But but if you are the metro editor, whoever right. it is right now, how are you doing your job and not asking the question of who's behind all these things and why is nothing happening to them? It's a good question, and that's true. By the way, the, the posted Daily News, all the local news outlets. I think it's true. I don't understand why James Dow, by the way, is the metro. Editor okay, well, so James Dow is not doing his job. Yeah, um, I don't know James and. Um, by the way, legislators, I don't understand why they're not holding hearings demanding people from either the Hochul administration or the Adams administration come testify and explain why they're fucking this up so badly. So just the whole thing, like it went from, okay, it's a new product. It's a new thing. The market kind of, it's hard to totally predict and control. The state is stupid and bureaucratic. So their ability to issue licenses is very limited. Like how it all happened, you can kind of understand it. But how we are, how long have these shops been open for now? A year and a half, yeah. something like that? You know, 18 months later, and there's still nothing happening about it? Like, it's it's just bewildering. Bradley, I, I love your fire on this. I think, uh, I think, I think, I mean, I, I don't want to, I know you don't want to be weed czar, so I'm not going to suggest that, but. Well, the other, and, I mean, it's the funny thing is, so I um, 
believe in, as you know, general legalization of drugs. We've right. talked about this before. There was an article in the Washington Post over the weekend about Portugal's experiment with legalizing drugs and that it uh, has not succeeded as much as that they thought it okay. would. What did, what did they fail and what happened? Um, that it's just, it's become too normalized. People are out there in the streets shooting up. Right. Um, all, and all that. And so our friend Howard, who I think is actually joining us tomorrow. tomorrow we're recording right? tomorrow. Uh, yeah. We're recording with Howard tomorrow. Um, who is very against legalization of drugs, sort of immediately came to me in our political consultant text thread and right. said, well, Bradley, how do you, how <laughs> right. do you respond to this? Right. And I, I had all my points of response in that it, it seems like Portugal first took the money that they were saving from going after legal drugs and reinvested it into treatment and healthcare and all that stuff. And then they stopped doing that. Right. And by the way, you don't, you can legalize drugs without making it legal to shoot up on the street, right? Like, I don't think it should even be legal to sleep on the street, let alone shoot up on the streets. So I don't think that two are mutually exclusive. Um, but as someone who is a proponent of drug legalization, and, you know, I wrote a piece the other week talking about how I don't think you're ever going to get rid of the fentanyl scourge until you legalize drugs, simply because the profit margins and incentives for the cartels are such that it's always going to make sense for them to cut the product with fentanyl. But if it were Unilever and Johnson and Johnson and Kraft, they just couldn't do that. Um, but you can't end the fentanyl scourge. You can't solve the underlying issue if you have these sort of examples of pe of just un totally sort of lawless chaos, which is what we have right now. So for those of us who do believe in ultimately legalizing some drugs, um, the illegal weed shops are our enemy. They're not our friend. It's a very good point. Um, hard pivot number three. Okay. We're going to, now we're going to talk about David Brooks's column. I was astounded. David Brooks wrote a column about the Mets. I didn't know he was a, a Mets lifelong fan. lifelong Mets fan. It doesn't really fit with the... You're kind of like Washington guy, policy guy. Where's he from That's originally? Like, I think of him as just being such a DC guy, but he must be he must be from Queens. It's gotta or be something. somewhere gotta in New be, York area. Yeah. Why would you choose to be a Mets fan? Can't be, have exactly. To, right? it must be some. Strange I mean, unless like his parents grew up in. But Brooks is old. How old is he? Gotta be seventy. No, he's not seventy. I think he's probably sixty-five. Hold on, I'm gonna see where he's from. David Brooks, Wikipedia. Um, so it's not like his parents grew up Mets fans and then moved to Bethesda and then he grew up Mets because it's, it's, the Mets haven't been around that long. The Mets are only around. He, Brooks is, is older than the Mets. Good Lord. He's Canadian. Oh, he was well, born in Toronto. It. I'm going to forget the whole thing. Holy Why shit. is he a Blue Jays fan? He must have. Oh, wait. Did he, you know where he went to, to college? I know you don't give a shit about college. Columbia. Um, uh, he, oh my God. He went to Grace Church though. They moved to the city. He went to Grace Church and then um, he went to the University of Chicago. Oh, well. Why do we care about any of these things? Like no. schools he went to when he was like eleven years old, um, but he's Canadian. That doesn't make. But sense. he's a he's a he Mets fan. Know. But the, the the thing that he wrote over the uh, weekend or maybe it's Friday something. Can like I that. can I read yeah. you a part from yeah, that please. you can respond to it? Because I think that I I think when I was reading it, I was like, I bet this is the part that Bradley is really responding to because yeah. a lot of it's just like, oh, the Mets they always lose. Um, <laughs> We don't watch sports for happiness. We watch for drama. This is what the happiness industrial complex doesn't get. In life and in sports, people want to experience the rapture of being fully alive with struggle and defeat and misery and resurrection, heroism and enchantment, and those short and misleading winning streaks that spark the flames of irrational optimism all over again. Is that, is that where you are? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, which is like, look, it is, and then I'm going to take some issue with the column in a second, but like, it is really fun when your team is playing well. It is even fun when your team is up and down and competitive, but they're in the mix. And even the team that's playing well, I, you know, you'd rather see them pull it out in the bottom of the ninth than sort of a 14 nothing kind of, you know, laugher, right? Because if, if what eventually just get bored, there's no point in watching the game or staying at the game. So the, the underlying drama and seeing people 
Because usually in life, we have successes and failures, but they're not in the moment. It's over a long period of time. I pursued this profession and I achieved my goals or I did not achieve my goals or whatever. Any like mobile voting, what we're doing, right? It's going gonna, gonna to be a, a fucking decade before I know if, if it worked or not and we succeeded, right? Like most things to, to get an outcome that's definitive take a long period of time. Sports is one of those things that provides it immediately all the time for everybody. Um, and that in some ways is very satisfying, right? Yeah. Because there's like a little, it's like why people, I guess, like theater, right? Like there's like a little drama playing out. And in the course of a couple of minutes, that drama, or at most a couple of hours, that drama is resolved. Uh, there was a winner, there was a loser. You got sort of all the highs and lows of it. And then you move on with your day. And so I think it, it provides like a significant kind of uh, emotional package in a relatively brief amount of time in a way that doesn't really occur in the rest of life. And that's what makes sports, I think, and Brooks is right, so fun and exciting. So here was the the issue I took a little bit with it. And, and maybe it's nothing he wrote wrong. But um, So the Mets have had an abysmal, terrible, horrible year. They had the most expensive payroll in baseball they history. Had a good week, though. They had a good week. Well, yeah, except then we got killed the last two games. Um, and But they, they won six in a row. It's true. Um, they are something like eight games below 500, 17 out of the division lead, I think seven and a half out of the wild card, uh, just beyond a, abysmal, right? And this, I say I stopped watching and following on a constant basis probably in mid to late May, I started giving up and saying, like, this is just a waste of my fucking time and it's too depressing. They just lose every single night. And they're not even, like, fun. They're just sort of, like, depressing and bad. Um, then they went on their six-game winning streak. I got back. It takes very little to suck me back in. <laughs> I got back into it. Then they got killed the last two days. And I guess I'm on the fence as to how I'm going to choose to spend my time. And this all-star game is tomorrow. Home run every tonight. So the second half of the season starts on Friday, I think. Thursday, Friday. Um I'm a little on the fence, right? Because when the Mets are playing well, it's a big part of my summer, right? right. Um, I'm going to 20 to 30 games. I am um, watching a lot of them on TV or listening to them on, on the radio. And it's hours and hours of time, which I'm generally happy to spend. What I'm not going to do, even though Brooks maybe would disagree with this, is I'm not going to sit there and force myself to listen to or watch or go to all 162 games if the team is just fucking miserable, right, right? right? You know, if the drama exists and they have a chance of being competitive and winning and succeeding, then by all means, and by the way, every team's going to play bad. Teams win 100 games in baseball, which is considered like an incredible accomplishment. They still lost 62 times, right? right. There's a lot of losing. Um, but but I think that Brooks did a really nice job capturing what why people love sports so much, where I think he maybe falls a little short, or maybe I am just trying to give myself moral permission here, is you can root for a team, you can care about a team, you, you can get a lot of benefit out of it without necessarily them winning a championship. I, I wrote a piece about this years ago when the Mets won the World Series in 2015 against the Royals. Um, we lost in the World Series. It was a miserable World Series, five games and out. But... I didn't get, okay, the level of satisfaction I would have gotten had we won the World Series, but I got the second best, right? Like, I was able to really enjoy that season up until the last couple of games during the World Series itself. So, like, 
I was a winner in the sense that like I was able to enjoy something for a long time that that matters to me. Um, and so on one hand, I don't think sports is totally binary, that it's all or nothing. But on the other hand, I guess what I'm trying to tell myself is you can be a true fan and a good fan and still give up on a team. One quick question, then we'll get to your recommendations. Yeah. Um, do you know why Buck Showalter is called Buck? No. Um, because he was known for walking around the clubhouse naked. Really? Buck naked. Yep. Huh. There you go. So like everyone else is like playing Xbox, like texting their friends. Using well, this was pre-Xbox. TikTok, and he's just in the new, just kind of wandering around. <laughs> I think this was when he was a young man. Obviously, I don't think he probably does. Did he play or was he just a lifetime kind of coach? No, he was a he was a minor leaguer for the Yankees. He was on the, he was a teammate of, of Don Mattingly's in the minor leagues. Um, and he was a Yankee farmhand his entire career. And so in, you know, Scranton or Columbus, wherever the Yankees had yeah, their minor league teams, Columbus. like everybody else is just doing their thing, even 1971 or whatever it is. And Bucks just well, so played out I, totally I, in the news. I guess it's on the like couch. That. I don't know. It, it sounded like he walked around. Yeah. So he might have been one of those guys. He got, you know, he took like all no this gear off and he just yeah. kind of just like, you know, wandered around. Yeah, there's something about that. But also, <laughs> Based on what we know about minor league baseball, and the locker rooms are disgusting, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not exactly like this like luxurious place where you'd want to lounge around naked. Like you're going to catch all kinds of bacteria. In there. I guess. Well, I, again, I think he it was that he was walking around, so I, he was probably just one of those guys who would go to his locker and then like he would just head to the shower naked, you know, not with the towel, whatever. I don't know, but anyway, they call him Buck, Buck naked, Buck show. Good to know. Um, recommendation. Your recommendation, then yeah. We're did I talk about the show Hijack yet? On the, on the no, no, you haven't. Okay, then we're, there we go. So there's a new show on Apple called Hijack. It stars Idris Elba, who um, played the character that involves our, your favorite podcast we ever did, which was Stringer Bell on the Wire. Oh, yes, um, I love that he's an incredible we just actor. It. Uh, they posted three episodes so far, and um, he is on a flight from Dubai to London. Um, terrorists uh, take over the plane. And in real time, and he's not like, and he's not like, it's not diehard where he's, you know, Bruce Willis or an NYPD cop who just happens to be in the situation and deals with it. He's like a private business person. He's like a negotiator for a living or whatever it is. And he was in Dubai closing some deal. Uh, he's a big man, but still, he's not supposed to be like right. the superhero, law enforcement right. superhero here. And the show is about effectively how, you know, we're only three sevenths in, but how he outwits these. Is he going to be Terrorists. like hanging on a wing? Do you think of the plane? I hope not of, because yeah. I, and I don't think so. I think the show is too good for that, right? right? Exactly. Like I actually watched some of um, White House Down the other night, uh, which is like from 2013, Jamie Foxx and some other uh, Tatum, Channing Tatum about like, you know, some ridiculous plot to kill the president, take over the government and all that stuff. Did you visit a weed shop right before then? Probably, yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you had a scene where Jamie Foxx, who was the president, you know, hanging out of a car, holding a rocket launcher, blowing things up, right? If Hijack resorts to that, then it is a failed show. But so far, in. it's intelligent, it's suspenseful, it's really well acted. I recommend it. Take it easy, Bradley. See you tomorrow with Howard. See you.